welcome back to the horror <laughs> hi i'm elise i'm shay and i'm also so fucking excited <laughs> this is the best weekend of shay's life elise has seen pure joy out of me <laughs> for the past like 24 fucking hours <laughs> I am at my happiest at a movie theater, and I am even happier when we're talking about anything related to fucking Scream. And this movie, it's worth it. I loved it. I'm so excited to be talking about it. I'm really excited that I got into the horror genre in time to study and enjoy this movie as it came out on opening day, because I feel like my whole life led up to that moment. It was so amazing. We were cheering in the movie theater. We were participating in this movie as if it was a sporting event. And I think we had some other people that were as excited as us in the movie theater. I mean, there's not a lot of people that are going to pack a matinee on opening day. (laughs) And we were some of them. Oh, my God. We just had the best fucking time. It was so good. I'm so excited to talk about it. Oh, my gosh. So obviously, if you don't know, we're talking about Scream 6 came out last weekend by the time this comes out. We are less than 24 (laughs) hours out of watching this, reacting to this. So we didn't have the opportunity to take notes because we were in the movie theater. So we're going off a very skeletal plot summary on Wikipedia. We're going to try to hit every plot point, see where our memory served us. But a lot of this is going to be reactionary. And also, we will be spoiling everything. So if you want to put a pause on this, wait till you see the movie, please do that. Wouldn't say that you need to have watched the first five to enjoy this, but you would need to watch the first five to fully enjoy this. Yeah, there's a lot of Easter eggs, especially to the second movie. Yes. Yeah, like each one is mentioned, but the second movie, there's a lot of parallels, which is really cool. Yeah, we'll be talking about that a lot. So going in with our ladies, there's a lot of them. So many ladies. So starting with our first legacy character, Gail motherfucking Weathers, (laughs) played by Courtney Cox. We obviously know her from the Scream franchise, Friends, Cougar Town. I didn't know this, but a movie from 2006 called The Tripper, which is a comedy slasher directed by ex-husband of hers, David Arquette, and also Scream legacy character, Dewey Riley. Oh my God which is amazing and obviously a shit ton of other stuff. We have Sam Carpenter, played by Melissa Barrera. She's known from Scream 5, In the Heights, a movie called Bed Rest. And she also has a lot of Mexican TV roles. She's a Mexican actress. We have Tara Carpenter, played by Queen of Horror right now, Jenna Ortega. (laughs) She got her start in Insidious Chapter 2, The Babysitter Killer Queen. She was Lorraine in X. She was in Studio 666. She's obviously Wednesday Addams in Wednesday. And I didn't say this in our coverage of Scream 5 because it was pending, but she did win an MTV Movie and TV Award for Most Frightened Performance for her performance in Scream 2022. Which that cold open. Oh my God. So fucking good. I I think it might still be one of my favorite of the franchise. Like obviously maybe like number two to the original, Mm -hmm. but so fucking good. We have Mindy, played by Jasmine Savoy Brown, who I'm just a huge fan of her life in general. She's in a movie called The Sound of Violence. I know and love her from her TV role in Yellow Jackets. She's also in The Leftovers, Stitchers, and she's also a musician and voice actress. We have The Return (laughs) of Hayden Panettiere as Kirby Reed from Scream 4, which was so fucking exciting. Obviously, we know Hayden Panettiere from Heroes. She was in a lot of soap operas, including Guiding Light and One Life to Live, and then also a lot of 2000s comedies. So bring it on, all or nothing. I love you, Beth Cooper. She's also a musician. Big fan. We also have newcomer Quinn, who is played by Liana Liberato. She's in a movie called Haunt, The Beach House, Dig, and the Supernatural TV series Light as a Feather. We have the slight appearance by a character named Laura, who is played by Samara fucking Weaving. Mm-hmm. We know her from Ready or Not, the babysitter franchise, Mayhem, and Ash vs. the Evil Dead. We love Samara Weaving. And then lastly, we have another new coming character, Annika, who is played by Devin Nakoda, and they play Mindy's love interest. Some pre-plot trivia, this is also directed by Radio Silence, which is the artistic collective of Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettinelli-Alpin. They are also responsible for Scream 2022, a segment of VHS, which is an anthology horror series that I like. Mm. Ready or not, of course, and Devils Do. It was written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, who wrote Scream 2022. 
It is the longest film in the franchise at two hours and three minutes, and the first film in the franchise to be shot outside of the United States. It was shot in Montreal, Canada, Mm. despite it taking place, canonically, in New York City. Okay, interesting. And that all comes from the Scream 6 IMDb. On the development, and this comes from the Scream 6 wiki, prior to the release of Scream 4, series creator Kevin Williamson claimed that he had already mapped out Screams 5 and 6, but would wait to see the box office success of the fourth installment before signing on for any more films. However, in July 2014, Williamson revealed that Scream 4 was intended to kick off a new trilogy, but it never took off in the way that he had hoped. In Williamson's initial pitch, Scream 5 saw Jill Roberts surviving and being stalked by a killer on her college campus, while Scream 6 would feature Gail Weathers as the main character and deal with her relationship with Dewey Riley. Wow, that could have been so different than what we have today. So different, so interesting. But Kevin Williamson is not involved in Scream 2022 or Scream 6. He is credited because obviously he created the characters. I'm pretty sure he's credited as an executive producer or something. But creatively, he didn't have input in these. And obviously, this is like a sore spot for the movie. This is like the only thing about the movie that I felt weird about, especially because I was so excited. And that's on Nev Campbell's lack of involvement in the film. So on June 6, 2022, it was announced that Campbell would not be returning as Sidney Prescott for the sixth film. The actress made a statement about how her contract and salary negotiations had stalled with Paramount Pictures, saying, as a woman, I have to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate the value that I have brought to the franchise. It has been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. Wow. IndieWire noted that Campbell had spent 26 years acting in the franchise and announced that it was an end of an era. Jasmine Savoy Brown, who plays Mindy, and Melissa Barrera, who plays Sam, as well as former Scream co-stars Emma Roberts, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Matthew Lillard, and Jamie Kennedy, also expressed their support for Campbell's decision and praised her contributions to the series. Campbell expanded on her statement a few weeks later, saying she could not bear walking on a set feeling undervalued, and that the offer would have been different had she been a man. Even though she would not be in the film, the script still contains references to Sidney's character and is protective of her. In December 2022, Radio Silence commented on Campbell's absence, saying her absence affected the script greatly. They decided to use the change as an opportunity to focus more on the other characters, particularly the four young survivors from the previous film. They also mentioned how much they love both Campbell and Sydney, and that she could return in future installments. I have hope that she might be back. It was hard to stomach the news that Nev Campbell was not returning, especially for this reason, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, even talking about the lens of this podcast, wanting to focus on the final girls, wanting to focus on women in the horror genre, seeing something like that, especially when she is invaluable. She won Final Girls March Madness first time around, right? Yeah. Like we love Cindy Prescott so much as a character. And something to Radio Silence's credit, I think they did well, was making this movie not about her and not about like her continued trauma. Like she is mentioned, but I didn't miss her. And that's not to say that her presence or that Sydney's involvement in the movie wouldn't have been welcomed because I I think obviously we all love her and we love her involvement in the movies, but I really do think it served as an opportunity for us to care more about Sam and Tara and Mindy and Chad. This is coming from someone who did not like Sam as a final girl in Scream 2022. And I think the room that this movie had to work with her and to envelop her in and to have us care about her was super fucking effective. And granted, this is only after one watch. I plan on seeing it again. (laughs) But obviously, we couldn't talk about how much we fucking loved this movie without acknowledging the Nev Campbell situation. Obviously, we don't know the details, but it was handled poorly. Some people are boycotting Scream 6 altogether because of Nev Campbell's lack of involvement. As a huge Scream fan, as a big horror fan, I'd like to think that there's some way to balance my loyalty to the franchise, but also recognizing where it's fucked up. And I don't know exactly how to do that in the most graceful way, but, you know, you have to find the joy where it is. And this movie gave me a lot of joy, and I have to recognize that. Yeah. From somebody who I haven't known and loved this franchise for nearly as long as Shay, I honestly was a little bit relieved that I got a break from worrying about Sydney Prescott. (laughs) I was like, okay, she's safe canonically and that makes me happy so i did enjoy a little bit of a break there (laughs) 
I mean, look at Kirby, right? Like we thought Kirby was dead. She did not come back for the fifth movie and she was able to come back with such a punch in the sixth movie. Elise and I were even discussing last night. There's no way to end this franchise and there's no way to put a button on this franchise without bringing Sydney back. Yeah, seriously. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So she's allowed to have a break. That's how I'm looking at it is she's having a break. I wish it wasn't under the circumstances that it was, but I think, you know, the support from the horror community and support from her co-stars are going to make it so when she does return, it's going to be very fucking triumphant. Absolutely. So let's get started. Okay. So the cold open in this movie is so interesting. So interesting. We have Lara, aka Samara Weaving, and she's sitting at a bar. She has a shot or two of tequila. We learn through her phone texting that she's waiting on like a first date with somebody. She's wearing an awesome dress. She looks amazing. The bar she's at is super cute. And the person she's texting asks, hey, can I call you? I think I'm lost. She gets on the phone with this guy. They're talking, you know, through their conversation, we learn that she is a film professor at a local university. She makes a couple comments about the horror genre, how it's really interesting to analyze culture at the time through the tropes of movies. Like, again, you know, one of our first examples of the self-aware reality of this movie. This guy just cannot find this restaurant. He's like, what's the color of the place? She's like, I think it's red. She goes outside to check. He's like, okay, I'm making my way down the street now. I'm looking for you. He ends up saying, oh, I'm going to come down this alley. Can you stand at the other end of the alley and I'll look for you and I can come towards you? She says, okay. Next thing you know, he's saying, you know, I'm looking down the alley. I don't see you. She starts making her way into the alley, which, oh my gosh. And, you know, it is a weekend around Halloween. You can see that a lot of people are out and about in costumes and things like that. It's, again, that eerie feeling of it is relatively busy on the street. But again, she's going deeper and deeper into this isolated alley. You see lots of dumpsters and things kind of in the way. Lots of places to hide if there was an assailant. And as she's in this alley, the voice on the phone changes. And it becomes the iconic ghost face voice. He says, I can't believe you're a film professor and I got you to come down this alley. And eventually Ghostface comes out and murders her in a very, very, very brutal murder and leaves her propped up against a brick wall as he makes his way back down the alley, grabs his bag, takes off his mask and reveals like a young college age student and his robes, shoves them in a backpack and leaves the alley and just walks home. Yeah, (laughs) we're not expecting Ghostface to disrobe five minutes into the movie, but he does. Uh Uh-huh. I also loved this kill because you know what it reminded me of? What? Helen motherfucking shivers. (gasps) And I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Just the idea that there's so many people around. Uh Uh-huh. And she's getting slaughtered in this alley and Mm. no one can hear her. No one comes to help her. It's just like, ugh. That sucks. Justice for our blonde bombshells. Yeah. In the slasher franchise. Jesus Christ. But yeah, Samara Weaving gone far too soon in this movie for my liking, but she did so fucking well in Mm -hmm. like the five minutes we had with her. Even I was cracking up (laughs) at her facial acting because, you know, she's saying things on the phone and she is like regretting everything that she's saying because she doesn't want to sound like a dork to this new hot guy she's going on a date with. So she's like, okie dokie, I'm going to come out and check. And she's like grimacing to herself. Like (laughs) Every minute she was on the screen, I was milking it. I fucking loved it. Yeah, so we follow this guy. We learn his name is Jason because he's called by name once he gets back on campus by Tara. Yeah, they're friends. They know each other from being on college campus. She lets him know, hey, I'm on my way to this frat party. He's like, cool, awesome, have fun. So we're like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, is this going to be a movie where we know who Ghostface is the entire time? Like, this is so crazy. There's already connections to the Carpenter family. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) So Jason gets back to his apartment and he calls out for his roommate, Greg, but Greg isn't there. He pours himself a drink and then gets a call from who he thinks to be Greg, but it's the ghost face voice. Yeah. And he's like, bro, like we promised not to use the voice on each other. But the whole time, I mean, the call does come from Greg's phone. So he's talking to this guy like it's Greg. And Greg's like, you know, let's play a game. I'm in the apartment. I'll let you know when you're getting closer to where I am through a game of hot or cold. And they also have cameras in their apartment. Whatever. I guess they care about security a lot. 
So he's playing this game with Greg. He's getting warmer, warmer, colder, colder. He seems to be growing disenchanted with this game. You know, we have an almost jump scare where he opens a closet and it's just an empty laundry closet. And we can see like Jason is becoming more and more suspicious. He even at one point asks like, how long have we known each other? When did we meet? Like he believes that it's Greg, but also at the same time doesn't. Especially because Greg keeps asking him to talk about Laura's murder. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So we're learning that Greg is now in on this and he's like man we can't talk about this on the phone you know he's like well just tell me how it felt and we see that jason has some bloodlust he's like she was human and then she was just meat and he's talking about whatever he's like i'm so excited to finish richie's movie so we're like oh my god these are more super fans and now they're super fans of richie also we find out that they're students of laura the film professor who was just killed and there's a comment about jason being like well she gave me a c minus on my paper about giallo Was it Giallo? It was Giallo, yeah. Oh my God, which is like Suspiria, right? Yep. So it's like, oh my God, like, wow. So again, already in the movie, there are so many like circles being closed. Like, okay, we have a connection to the Carpenters. Okay, we have a connection between the victim and the murderer. Okay, we have a connection to Richie, right? There are so many like, whoa, whoa, whoa moments right at the top of the film. So eventually this game of hot and cold concludes with Jason opening the refrigerator and seeing the body of Greg dismembered inside the refrigerator. And then Ghostface comes up behind Jason and promptly murders him, saying that you guys don't get to be the one to kill Sam and Tara Carpenter. And that's the cold open. I'm like, whoa, it was amazing. So then we cut to our final girl, Sam. She is in therapy. We get the context that she's been in these therapy sessions for about six months, and all that she has seemed to talk about is how Tara, her sister, has not been dealing what happened to them a year ago. So, okay, we get some timeline information. We find out that Tara, Mindy, and Chad all moved to New York for college, and Sam followed them because she feels the need to keep a watchful eye over Tara because, in her mind, Tara hasn't dealt with it. And the therapist is like, I don't think you've dealt with it because throughout this entire time, all you've been able to talk about is your sister and not how you're feeling eventually she begins to open up she's like fine you want to know and she shows her phone to the therapist that shows that a lot of folks on reddit are blaming sam for the woodsboro murders that happened a year ago and are painting amber and richie as the fall guys so very similar to how jill in scream 4 was going to pin everything on the boyfriend very similar on how nancy loomis was going to pin everything on mickey right like Mm -hmm. this idea that there's always this other ghost face that has a fall guy and then she begins saying like okay my father was a serial killer his name was billy loomis my ex-boyfriend was a serial killer his name was richie kirsch starts going off about all the things that happened to her and very promptly the therapist fires her (laughs) yeah and is like I'm not equipped to handle this. And I also need to report everything that you just told me to the police because essentially she ends her little confession with saying, I killed my ex-boyfriend and it felt right. Yeah. She stops just shy of saying that she likes it or Mm -hmm. that she liked the experience. But we see in her face that she's got a little bit of her daddy's bloodlust going Mm on. But the therapist promptly fires her and she storms out and calls Tara. Tara doesn't answer because she's at the frat party. Sam eventually makes it home where we have a little bit of a spooky moment where she hears some bumping coming from her roommate Quinn's room. But then we realize that Quinn is just banging some guy. We have a funny moment where Quinn cracks the door to talk to Sam. And she asks Quinn where Tara is because she's not around. Quinn eventually lets her know he went to this frat party and Sam does not seem pleased. But we also have this funny moment where like (laughs) Quinn is talking to Sam, but whatever guy she has in her room keeps like responding (laughs) and being like, who's that? What's that? (laughs) Like, it's just like, I love sound and you can't see the source. There's something about it that's extra silly. So it's a funny moment, but she does not like that. Tara is at this frat party. We cut to the frat party where we meet back up with Mindy, who's got a new girlfriend named Annika and they're canoodling on the couch. (laughs) And then Chad, who is trying to hype up his roommate, Ethan, to go and like hit on a pretty girl because he's like, oh my God, I'm going to die a virgin or whatever. And he's like, no, you won't, man, this, that, and the other thing. But Tara has gotten a little too drunk and an older guy at the party seems to clock this and suggests that they should go upstairs. Mindy tries to dissuade her from doing so and eventually sends in Chad to go Mm -hmm. take care of it. Chad and this guy beef it up, they get into a fight, and eventually Sam shows up and tases the would-be date rapist in the balls, and they leave the party. Tara is justifiably pissed off. Yeah, she's like, you embarrassed me. 
yeah, they get into a fight on the street where she's like, you disappear out of my life for five years and now you can't leave me alone for five fucking minutes. If I want to cope by banging some douchebag at a party, that's my right to do so. You're not letting me go. You have to let me go. Eventually, they're accosted on the street when somebody throws a soda on Sam, calling her a murderer and filming her. So you could tell Sam's just not having a good time. I think they get back to the apartment by this point. And is this where Chad and Tara have their little romantic moment? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So they get back to the apartment. Chad and Tara have a romantic moment. They're sitting on Tara's bed and she ends up thanking him for kind of intervening. So we can see that she really is appreciative and they seem like they're about to kiss. But then Quinn busts in. (laughs) Uh, She thinks she forgets something in the room and she's like, oop, did I just cock block you? But the irony is that her saying cock block totally is what did it. Chad leaves, but we can see that there is romantic tension rising between those two characters. However... There is a newscast that shows that there has been more ghost face victims. And Sam's like, oh my God, we got to leave town. We got to get out of here. And Tara's like, what are the chances? It's Halloween. But then Quinn, her father is a police detective. So she decides to call, see about the validity of it. His name is Detective Bailey. Detective Bailey then talks to Sam and is like, listen, you're not allowed to leave town because we just found your ID at the scene of this murder. Mm -hmm. And I need you and your sister to come down to the whatever (laughs) police precinct. Down to the station. Down to the station (laughs) to answer some questions. So as they are walking and on the way, Sam gets a call from Ghostface from Richie's number? Yeah. Very freaking spooky. Tara advises her not to answer it, but Sam does. Does a little bit of shit talking to Ghostface on the phone. But then Ghostface pops up and starts chasing them. We have a pretty wild chase scene where we end up entering into a bodega. They get in. They try to convince people that something is wrong. People aren't taking them seriously. Then Ghostface enters. A big guy in line to buy some shit tries to stand up to Ghostface, but he is stabbed. The shop owner grabs a shotgun and shoots towards Ghostface. We think maybe he got him, but when they peer around to see where Ghostface is lying, he is no longer there. Ghostface ends up getting to and killing the shopkeeper when the shopkeeper tries to peer around to see what's up. Then we are just left with Sam and Tara running around this bodega, which is very small These scenes are so long and so intense. Like, they do not spare any time as we watch, like, Sam and Tara quietly sitting, trying to figure out what to do. There's, like, a can fake out where we try to distract Ghostface. Eventually, they run out of the store right as the police arrive, and Ghostface runs out the back door and leaves a mask on the ground. Yeah, the police arrive and they take Tara and Sam to the police precinct, but it is revealed as they sit waiting in this waiting room and are questioned by Detective Bailey that the mask that was used in the bodega was the same ghost face mask used by Jill Roberts and Charlie Walker in the 2011 Woodsboro killings. And also the mask left behind at Jason and his roommate's murder was the same one worn by Richie and Amber in Scream 5. Oh my fucking God. What the fuck? <laughs> Detective Bailey is interrupted saying that the FBI has showed up. And guess who the fucking FBI is? Who is it? It's Kirby. Kirby. And she looks amazing. Oh my God. She looks so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. There was an Easter egg in Scream 2022 that Kirby did in fact survive. Because for those of us who haven't seen Scream 4 or haven't seen Scream 4 in a while, she's left for dead in Scream Mm -hmm. 4. She is stabbed in the gut, left bleeding out by Charlie. And for all intents and purposes, we assumed that she was dead because we did not hear anything the contrary. But in Scream 5, there was an Easter egg when Richie's on the computer watching things about the stab movies. One of the thumbnails on the side of the YouTube video was interview with Woodsboro massacre survivor Kirby Reed. So that canonically told us, oh my God, she fucking lived Mm -hmm. and here the fuck she is. Now an FBI agent that has taken a particular interest in ghost face killings. Mm -hmm. So she's on the case and she says, you know, we're going to figure out what's going on. I am here to help. And as they leave the precinct, there are many, many reporters outside waiting for interviews, including Gail motherfucking Weathers. (laughs) She steps on the scene and right away, Sam tries to take a swing at her. But Gail Weathers dodges the fist. Gets out a comment about being here before, but before she could finish her sentence, Tara whacks her in the face. 
So we do still get our satisfying punch. And through their conversation, we realize that Gail has released another book because she cannot help herself detailing the murders from Scream 5. And it seems like the press attention that her book got maybe fed the rumors that maybe Sam really is the killer. Maybe she really is unstable. And so there is animosity between the two sisters and Gail Weathers. It is also revealed that Sydney Prescott is safe, but that she is taking her family and hiding somewhere safe. And this is what I like because in Scream 5, there's a justifiable reason for Sydney returning to Woodsboro, right? Because Dewey's there, and that's why Gail comes back, because obviously, like all of them have ties to Woodsboro. It would not make sense for Sydney Prescott to travel to New York City. Gail, canonically, has been in New York City this entire time from Scream four and a half or whatever onward. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. She came back from New York, and that's why her and Dewey divorced or whatever is because she got a big reporting job in New York and Dewey couldn't hack it, so he moved back to Woodsboro. So everyone converging in Woodsboro made sense in Scream 2022, and it makes sense because Gail was already in New York, and now they're all in New York because of college and school or whatever. So it does make a lot of logical sense as to why Sydney would have no business being like, oh, there's ghost face killings happening in New York. Nowhere of relevance to me. Yeah, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit this one out. Especially yeah. because Sam in the whole fifth movie was like, I don't need your help. Like, was so ungrateful the entire <laughs> fucking time. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, I don't need to be dealing with the spawn of Billy Loomis, my crazy ex-boyfriend that tried to kill me and kill my mom. Okay, I'm going to sit this one out. So like, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense for Sydney Prescott's character to be like, no. And especially because we know she's a mother now. You know, she has a husband and a family, right? You know, like, this can't be her only thing. She's got other things going on. So great. Sydney Prescott is safe. I do not have to worry about her for now. <laughs> I love that. Meanwhile, former therapist Dr. Stone is wearing his nice silk pajamas when there's a knock at the door. He can see through the reflection, or not the reflection, but like the blurred image coming through the glass that it appears to be somebody in costume. He says something about, oh, it's a little early for Halloween, but it's Ghostface. And he busts through the glass and stabs Dr. Stone through the face, leaves him dead on the floor, busts in, steals Sam Carpenter's file from his desk, and leaves behind another mask that is then revealed later by investigators to be used by Roman Bridger from Scream 3. So then they all decide to have a stakeout party in Sam and Tara's apartment, including the core four, which is very (laughs) cutely dubbed by Chad, the four survivors from the last movie. So Chad, Mindy, Tara, and Sam. Sam is having a hard time because she's still being painted as a prime suspect. There's a really touching moment where Tara, Mindy, and Chad comfort her and say, listen, you are not who your father is. We know you to be a good person. Also, enter hot neighbor Danny, (laughs) who Sam has been making eyes with through the window. And as far as we knew, was just some sort of like sexual tension, but they've actually been fucking. Uh Uh-huh. And nobody knew, but then Sam's like, I actually been seeing this guy. (laughs) And this is where Danny becomes important because as they're having this little cute dinner of sorts... Quinn is also there, obviously, because she lives there. And they hear banging from her bedroom and they're like, oh my God, Quinn's going to town again. But then it starts getting progressively more violent. So they all start freaking out. Sorry, is Ethan there? No, he's not there. He's not there? No, because this is the night where he's like, I had econ, I had econ. Okay, because I was trying to remember who was there because obviously I forgot Annika was there for a second, but it's very important that Annika's there. And also, I guess that guy Quinn is seeing is there. So we think. Well, we see his body in the bathtub, remember? Oh, yeah, you're so right. You're so Mm -hmm. right. Spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler A guy whose name we never knew. Uh, Yeah. Dies. But he was so funny. Yes, he was so funny. Um, So, yes, the banging gets progressively louder and more violent. But also, hot neighbor Danny from across the way has been trying to get their attention because he can see through the window that somebody is in Quinn's room. Ghostface is in Quinn's room. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to get everybody's attention. But now they can hear the banging. And then what, they run into the other room? They are standing outside of Quinn's bedroom door. It busts open with a ghost face. And then this is where everybody gets scattered. So Chad takes Tara and runs out the front door of the apartment. So they make it out. Mindy gets slashed in the arm. Annika gets fucking stabbed in the gut. (sighs) There are so many gut stabs. There's so many gut stabs. So many guts getting rearranged and not in the fun way in this Mm -mm, movie. mm -mm. Meanwhile, Sam runs to the kitchen trying to get a knife. But all of the sharp objects in the kitchen are no longer there. Uh Uh-uh. 
uh, uh, we don't like that. So she instead uses the wooden knife block to stop <laughs> Ghostface from killing Annika. And then the three of them end up running into, I think, Quinn's bedroom, it ends up being. And they barricade the door. Obviously, Mindy and Annika are worse for wear. They are bleeding. And this is where Danny comes back in. He is able to get a ladder because essentially their windows are level with each other on like the second or third floor above an alley. So it's kind of like a U-shape building. He is able to extend a ladder over so that there now becomes a catwalk of sorts across their apartment to Danny's apartment. They encourage Sam to go first. It's very tense because Ghostface is breaking his back trying to get through this fucking door. Sam makes it across. <laughs> I'm like, they're not going to bury their gaze here, but it's a movie. People got to die. Uh, <laughs> fucking, we don't even get a lot of characterization with Annika. No, she has a really good outfit on, though. Goes to waste. Yeah, no, she's really cute, though. She sends Mindy out first. Mindy makes it across. And as Annika gets about halfway across, Ghostface breaks into the room. It doesn't even happen quickly. No, he tortures her. He grabs the other end of the ladder and is shaking it up Mm -hmm. and down and side to side and trying to knock her off of this thing. And it is so fucking horrifying. And eventually he flips the ladder over and Annika falls to her death after smacking her head on the side of a dumpster. Oh my god, it's brutal. It is brutal. It's so sad. The next scene, you know, everyone has reached safety as far as we know for now. The police are called and Officer Bailey arrives, but Quinn is his daughter. He's distraught. He's crying. He says that he's been taken off the case, obviously because of personal interest, but he's going to get the fucker that killed his daughter. Now he's upset. He says, both of my children are gone. Yeah, because we did get some context earlier in the movie where Quinn was trying to comfort Sam or Tara. Yeah, yeah, Sam. Oh, no, maybe it was Tara. You're right. She was like, look... When my brother died, you know, my dad even switched jobs, moved to New York. He wouldn't leave me alone because he was so upset about my brother. Yeah, Yeah. trying to comfort her by saying, like, Sam's only doing this because she loves you and everything like that. We also missed a scene right before this uh, apartment killing scene happened where the new rules of the franchise get established. Oh, my God. Such a good scene. And this is where you pointed out, oh, my God, like this movie is so much like Scream 2 because it's a college movie. It is a college movie. For those of us who don't remember, Scream 2 follows Sydney and Randy. Is that it? Sydney and Randy? Yeah, Sydney and Randy. Because everyone else is new, right? Yeah, everyone else is new, yeah. This is, again, begins the parallels of Scream 2, which are so fucking smart and so well done. But essentially, a sort summation of the rules given by Mindy, as she fucking should be the one giving them <laughs> because of who her uncle is, essentially says, this is not just a sequel, it's a sequel to the requel, which means that whatever you're expecting, expect the opposite. Things are brutal, and no one is safe, including legacy characters. And this is where, again, everyone starts blaming each other. Mm -hmm. Everyone starts suspecting each other, and we're given, okay, Quinn, your dad's a cop, so no one's going to suspect you, but you're, like, the group slut or whatever like that, so, like, (laughs) no one's going to suspect you. She's, like, sex positive, but okay, thank you. (laughs) Suspecting Annika because she's a love interest, and she's new, and then suspecting Ethan because he's Chad's roommate Mm -hmm. and also new. And hot Danny, the neighbor across the way. Yeah, hot Danny, because, again, love interest, all that kind of stuff. And then they write, well, how about it can't be one of the four of you? You know, are we off of like the Sam could be Ghostface theory because of who her dad is and like all that kind of shit? This scene is brilliant because it foreshadows, obviously, like these really long kill scenes, you know, these really intense kills, the danger of the legacy characters, but it also sows so much doubt for everyone. And that comes into play later, I think. That's like maybe like the one criticism I had about this movie is when you know the formula of these movies, you can clock who the ghost faces are fairly quickly. But the movie does a good job of pointing out like, yeah, it is suspicious, but so is everyone else. Yeah. And here's why. Like it spells out why it could be anybody at any given time, because there's even those kind of blame games happening between Kirby and Detective Bailey, because Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you're a cop. You have access to all of this evidence. And they're like, well, you're a ghost face survivor. So who's to say that you're not seeking revenge? I mean, yeah, like it really could be fucking anybody. And they're naming it. And because they're naming it, you start to gaslight yourself of like, oh, maybe I don't know who Ghostface is. Yeah. So by the time the reveal comes, you're like, okay, like I did guess that, but I didn't guess it this way. Well, I guess I could return to this later. My thoughts on Danny. Mm-hmm. I guess I can return to this later for trying to keep yes, Ghostface Yes, yes, because I, lo- I liked what you said about that. 
Okay, perfect. So that scene precedes the apartment scene that we just covered. Now Quinn is dead. Her lover is dead that we never met but heard. And (laughs) Annika is dead. So Officer Bailey is taken off the case, but he is vowing to follow through. Did we say it was Mickey and Mrs. Loomis's masks? Yes. So that mask was left behind and that's another killer. And they start working out this theory that the killer is working backwards, which is ultimately going to leave us with Billy Loomis's mask. So when is that going to happen? We don't know. But this is all very sinister and calculated. Gail Weathers, she comes back into play and she's like, look, sorry that things are beefy right now, but I did some work and I found out where these masks are coming from. And she takes everybody to this like old theater and it is a ghost face shrine. Clothes in display cases that Kirby wore in Scream 4 and weapons being displayed with like the person who used them and all of the ghost faces are in these full-size display cases on stage, but all of their masks are missing. And she's like, this is where the DNA is coming from. Somebody is using these masks and leaving them at the scene. There's just so many cute little Easter eggs in here where it's like, you got Billy Loomis's bloody t-shirt. You got the TV that killed Stu. Yes. <laughs> you got Jill Emma Roberts's flannel that she wore all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's fucking incredible. And I was nerding out so much when this was happening. After that knowledge, they decide to plan a sting operation where they put Tara and Sam, I guess in like Central Park. Yeah. Whatever equivalent cosplaying a Central Park while Kirby is in a detective van with Chad, Mindy, and Ethan. And then Detective Bailey is present on the scene incognito, like just trying to be like, okay, if you're attacked in broad daylight, I'm here, I'm back up. So we get a ghost face call that's threatening Sam and Kirby is able to trace the call to a certain address that is not in Central Park. So Mm -hmm. the call is not coming from inside the house. Where is it coming from? Gail's address. Oh my gosh. Gail's in trouble. We gotta go get Gail. So Tara and Sam casually steal Detective Bailey's police car, turn the sirens on, and race after wherever Gail lives while everyone else follows in New York traffic. So it's gonna take a long time. Then we get to Gail's house. The phone rings. Her boyfriend answers it. And it's Ghostface. It is. He hands off the phone to Gail. And I love this because she is such a badass. But Ghostface is even like, isn't it crazy that after all this time we've never spoken? And that's so true. Because we never had a moment with Gail Weathers on the phone with Ghostface until now. (laughs) It's also funny to me that the boyfriend was like, he says he's the killer. (laughs) <laughs> and like, it's just handy. I'm like, do you not know who the fuck you're dating? Well, also think about it too. Like, do you mean like as far as he wasn't taking it seriously? Well, you're right. Because she, does she say, probably like, you're gets like the this all the time. guy that, yeah. that tried this or whatever. <laughs> and then finally she's like, call the police. And he was like, oh my God, I gotta take this one seriously. Okay, maybe uh-huh. fine. I mean, yeah, he's a young, hunky guy. Hunky guy. This cast is gorgeous. Everybody <laughs> in this cast is gorgeous. Great, gorgeous cast. So he's out of view. Gail is trying to talk to Ghostface on the phone. You know, there's some good banter. He's like, don't you want an interview? And she's like, yeah, actually. <laughs> so she, I would love that. I would love that. But meanwhile, she's looking around the house. Her guard is up. And meanwhile, we see hunky boyfriend come back out to talk to Gail. But then he is grabbed by Ghostface and taken back into the room. She doesn't see it. She does not see it. But this is also the moment where you were like, talk to Ghostface. Yeah. (laughs) Because obviously Ghostface is talking, but his voice doesn't break as he is grabbing a full grown muscle man. So clearly there has to be some kind of tag teaming going on here. And this whole fucking sequence is so good. I, we were screaming. We, we were both were screaming. screaming. We were screaming. We were screaming for scream, but like <laughs> we were yelling and reacting to this as if we were at a sporting event. <laughs> we were so afraid for Gail the entire time because essentially, you know, Ghostface pops out. There's chasing happening where she goes out on her very long, gorgeous balcony and she's throwing potted plants and then running back in and locking him out. And then she ends up running into her walk-in closet where there's a gun locker and she can't open the gun locker. And we're like, oh my fucking God. But then she gets it and shoots through the door and Ghostface stops. But then, you know, Ghostface is still talking to her on the phone. He is pretty much like teasing her. And this is where we started figuring out later. I'm like, okay, the Ghostface that's on the phone is not in the apartment. Yeah. Because the Ghostface must have heard that there was gunshots. Because the Ghostface is like, maybe you did shoot me. Maybe I'm on the elevator back down to the ground floor. Why don't you come out and see? I'm like, well, if you just got shot, you wouldn't be talking like that, would yeah, you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. So she like kicks the door open. Nobody's there. She's like wandering about with the gun. 
And then there's this iconic moment where she is on the phone with Ghostface still. And she's like, wait, let me put you on hold. And you just hear Ghostface go, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And she hangs up the phone, star 69's the shit out of him or star 67 or whatever the fuck. And we hear Ghostface's phone ringing from inside a closet. She turns the gun and shoots the closet a bunch of times. They charge out. There's some scuffling happening. There's stabs being exchanged. Gail gets got in the shoulder. She gets got in the chest. There's one of those moments where Ghostface is holding the knife with both hands and it's inches from her face and she's holding them up. Essentially, something happens where she's able to knock Ghostface out for a second. I don't know exactly how it happens. I think they both go flying through a table or something. Yes. It's a big action sequence. Ghostface is incapacitated. And while Gail goes reaching for the knife, she like angles herself up and leaves her midsection open as she goes to plunge the knife down into Ghostface. Ghostface wakes up with another knife in their other hand and gets Gail in the chest again. And it's not looking good for Gail. No, she gets stabbed many, many, many times. We are screaming, crying, throwing up. We are screaming, crying, throwing up. But thankfully, Sam and Tara finally arrive. They're able to come in and what do they do? Do They don't have a gun, do they? I think they shoot at Ghostface, but then I don't know how Ghostface gets out of the apartment. Maybe they pick up the gun from the floor. They shoot at Ghostface, but then yeah, Ghostface somehow gets out. We don't know how, but Gail has this moment. She's like, tell Sydney that he didn't get me. He didn't get me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sam's trying to hold her gut wound in. It's bleeding Uh profusely. Thankfully, EMS is right behind, and we think we're losing Gail for a second, but they say she's got a weak pulse. We got to get her to Mount Sinai or whatever. And we're like, yeah. Like, we're, we, um, I was hyperventilating. Like, I was like, we can't. I'm like, they're not going to kill her. They're not going to kill her. And I thought they really did for a second, but Uh weak pulse, Gail's still alive. (laughs) Holy fucking shit. So the group then decides they're probably expecting us to hunker down in a safe space. So why don't we use that against him and trap him inside? Because they know that the theater has passcodes. Like Gail somehow hacked something where you can only get into this ghost face memorabilia museum theater with these access codes. But if you don't have it, you can't get out. You can lock people in. Mm -hmm. So they say, okay, let's go do that. I forget what Detective Bailey is doing, but he essentially says, you guys go ahead, make sure you travel in public to get there, and I'm going to get back up and meet you there or something. Yeah, something like that. So the friends decide to take the subway, but it's Halloween night or really close to Halloween night. The subways are packed. Everyone's in costume. Their group is separated. Chad, Sam, and Tara make it into the first train with Kirby. And then Mindy and fucking roommate Ethan get separated and they have to get on the next train. And Mindy is clocking Ethan right away. She's like, get away from me, Ghostface. But what she's, what the fuck did she, she say? She literally calls him that. Yeah, she's, she's just like, like you Ghostface fucking Ghostface or something. Yeah. Like she, but she's like, she's like, don't stand next to me. Like, get yeah. away from me. Get on the other side of this car. Like, she's like keeping distance away from Ethan. And Ethan's getting the sneaky edit. He's getting the, I'm the shy guy. I'm just this nerd. But like you see, he's a, has a little sinister to him. But at this point, everyone's getting the sneaky edit. Yeah, everyone is getting the sneaky oh, edit. Oh, it's not Kirby with them. It's Danny. Oh, right. Kirby ends up. Uh huh. Yeah, boyfriend. Hot bodega boyfriend. He ends up going with them because Kirby ends up meeting them there later, and that's a big reveal. Okay. There's a lot of iconic costumes in the subway ride. It was in all of the trailers, so you've Mm -hmm. seen part of it. But something that I loved is the editing of the trailers made it seem like they were all together in the same subway car, but Mindy's by herself. The thing is, there's a bunch of ghost faces on the train, but you don't know which one is bad and which one's just a costume. Like we get a fake out where a ghost face comes up right to Mindy and then makes a quick right out of the subway. We don't know what's going on. We have Ethan staring Mindy down. Mindy is not feeling safe. At one point, she like backs up against like a glass window. I'm like, don't you fucking do that. Don't you fucking do that. But it was it was like a nice little fake out. There's some like flickering lights. We don't know what ghost face is advancing, but eventually Mindy gets stabbed in the gut by a ghost face in the subway to no one's witness yes. except Ethan's. No but one barely. Is attention. But yeah, Ethan eventually realizes that she's fully out of view. And when they stop, he gets her and brings her out, calls help medics promptly arrive and take Mindy away. So now the others can't get a hold of Mindy. Obviously, there's no cell service in the subway. They can't get her. They don't know where she is. So Chad, Sam, Tara, 
bodega boyfriend was left behind sam was like you can't come (laughs) and he's like okay fine so he leaves and the three of them join kirby in the theater but now kirby's acting a little bit weird She's just acting cagey. Like, she's acting traumatized. She is. And there is a nice conversation between her and... Is it Sam or is it Tara? Because I think Tara says something like, I don't want this to be my identity. I don't want this to, like, follow me around everywhere and forever. Like, how do you get over this? And Kirby's just, like, one day at a time. It doesn't go away. Like, this is going to be your life now forever. But you just have to keep surviving. All that kind of stuff. Lots of good little heart-to-hearts in this movie. Then, Daddy's back. We see Sam looking at Billy's robe, and in the reflection of Billy's glass case, we see Skeet back Mm -hmm. in Billy attire and essentially saying, like, come on, join the Loomis family dynasty, father and daughter, killing as it's meant to. Like, pretty much saying, give in to your bloodlust, give in to your bloodlust. She ends up taking his knife out of the case. So, okay, Sam's starting to lose it a little bit. Well, yeah, well, he's like, you're smarter than this because Kirby has just said, we're trapped in and I have the gun because I'm the licensed carrier. Mm -hmm. So nobody else has a weapon. And Billy Loomis is like, you're smarter than this. You need to clear the place yourself. Go. Mm -hmm. So she grabs the knife. She goes. But then she realizes that the fucking elevator is now padlocked, which I think is her first cue that something is fucking weird because, you know, how are they going to get Ghostface in if the elevator is already padlocked? You know what I mean? She gets a phone call from Detective Bailey saying, we did some digging into Kirby Reed. She's been off the force for three months because she's mentally unstable. You guys got to get the fuck out of there. And I will say, I was thrown. I did not want to believe it, but I was like, this would be really special if Kirby ended up being a ghost face because I was like, oh my God. And again, everybody's a fucking suspect. You Mm -hmm. can't trust anybody. We can't sit in that moment for very long because then we're thrown into a kissing scene with Chad and Tara. Oh my God, they're finally kissing. Oh my God. And it's so cute. It's, it's what we need. <laughs> we needed that little bit of sweetness. It was really fucking special. It just doesn't last very long. No, because Ghostface appears and stabs Tara in the back as they're yes. kissing. Oh which, talk God. about a cock block. Yeah, seriously. <gasps> Okay, we will come back to this moment. God, there's so many things we have to there's come back There's so many we're things. Gonna we're gonna get it. We're gonna get, we're, get there. We're gonna get there. Don't, you can have we're, faith in us. We're winding up. We're winding up. Okay. We're so close. Woo! Okay, so then, yeah, Tara's out in the back. There's a chase scene. Does Sam arrive now? Sam arrives. Chad ends up pushing Tara ahead into Sam's arms, and another ghost face comes yeah. out. They restrain him and they tag team him and he gets stabbed a fuck ton of times and tells them to run. And it's so fucking sad. It is fucking awful. It is fucking awful. So now it's just the two sisters. They make it back to like the main theater display case area. So we're at two ghost faces. Does Kirby come back now? So they essentially are met on either end, Kirby on one side and Bailey on the other side. They both have their guns drawn on each other where Kirby's like, Bailey knocked me out Uh because she's all bloody and she's all looking deranged and shit. And he's like, you can't trust her. And they don't know what the fuck is going on. Do they both take shots at each other? Does Bailey just shoot Kirby? I think he might just shoot her in the shoulder or something. Yeah non-deadly she's down again and then we have bailey but it's this moment because it's like who's who do you trust yeah but then the ghost faces come up behind bailey and just like stand with him and you're like oh fuck and that's the thing (laughs) i didn't trust the cop from the fucking second i looked at him i'm like it's fucking you as soon as we learn about all of this evidence Evidence. yeah well who is the literal only person who could get that but then the kirby fake out is so good because she would also have access to that yes so like she's believable in that way oh my gosh okay it's detective bailey and then the other two ghost faces reveal themselves the first one is fucking ethan of course it is which i also appreciated because he was also probably prime suspect he was like prime suspect number two right Turns out he's Officer Bailey's son. And then the other ghost face is revealed. It's fucking Quinn! It's fucking Quinn! She's not dead! They faked her death. Probably not her lovers, though. No. But that is why Shay and I were just freaking out about the cock block. Because she's the one that had the lie about the cock block. And now she might be the ghost face that just came up and literally stabbed Tara in the back and also cock blocked her again. So now, making history, because we got three ghost faces. Three ghost faces. Well, we already knew Quinn to be Officer Bailey's daughter, so now we fully have a family affair. 
And this is another connection to Scream 2, because we know in Scream 2, Billy Loomis's mother was one of the killers. So we're kind of back in this family parental theme. Oh yeah, because it's also a revenge story. It's a revenge story because guess who else is Officer Bailey's son? Richie. Fucking Richie. So fully family affair. So this entire thing has been orchestrated against Sam and Tara because Sam killed Richie. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So then we come to find out that <laughs> what they're standing in was Richie's collection. Uh-huh. And that because Detective Bailey is a police officer, he helped him attain things for his collection. And of course, we get this whole thing like, was I the best father? No. Did I indulge his fantasies a little too much? Yes. <laughs> like, I was a good dad and you killed him. You know, how do we think we've been able to get the media and everybody on our side? And Quinn is now revealing that she's the one that started all the posts that Sam was the killer. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. They are really showing how it doesn't matter what the truth is. It's the matter of the court of public opinion. And right now, it is very hard to argue with the fact that Sam is Billy Loomis's daughter and they can make out that Richie was this innocent guy. And I don't think they believe Richie to be innocent, truly. No, but they're upset that he was murdered. Exactly. We are gasping for breath at this point because there's just so many things happening. We're like, is Kirby dead? Is Chad dead? Where's Mindy? Mm -hmm. Did she make it to the hospital? How did Ethan get here so fast? Did he end up finishing her off on the way? Like, Quinn is alive. What the fuck is going on? So the sisters arm themselves with bricks and gets to fighting. (laughs) I don't know exactly how things occur or what ends up happening. I know that Quinn gets like a brick to the mouth and gets taken down. Her teeth get knocked out. Her teeth get knocked out. They both end up climbing up to the second level of the movie theater via a ladder. I don't know how things permit those things to happen, Uh but they both end up getting up there Tara slips, Sam's holding on to her, and it's the whole callback to, you need to let me go, you need to let me go. Yeah, there's a ghost face on the bottom, and one has just made his way up to the fucking mezzanine. They can't keep dangling there, they're totally gonna get killed. So Sam hands Tara her knife, so that Tara can drop down on top of Ethan, Mm -hmm. who's at the bottom. He does get her in the gut for a second, but then she stabs the knife into his mouth. Very phallic. Yes, very phallic. Down his throat and says, you're going to die a fucking virgin. (laughs) That ghost face is taken care of. And then Sam is able to grab the gun and shoot Quinn in the head. Quinn falls dead and that leaves Officer Bailey as the only remaining ghost face now. He is revealed to be standing right behind Quinn. Sam tries to shoot again. We're out of bullets. They charge at each other and then fall over the mezzanine. Yes. Then we see Officer Bailey wake up. He falls on the display case. So I think he takes a little bit of a harder fall. He wakes up, tries to arm himself and look around the area. Gets a phone call. Gets a fucking phone call. (laughs) It's our favorite Ghostface modulator taunting him. He goes up onto the stage. He sees that Billy Loomis's robe is gone now. (laughs) All of the masks were gone, but Billy Loomis's robe is gone. He's blindly taking shots every once in a while where he senses somebody might be. But then Sam, donning her father's attire, comes up behind him. We know it's Sam, but we don't know it's Sam because it's a ghost face. True. And stabs the absolute shit, like viciously, stabs the absolute shit out of him. Fast, fast stabs. (laughs) And then she pulls the mask off. Tara just kind of walks out and was like, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then Danny arrives with police officers. Well, there's a fake out where Ethan's alive and then Kirby kills him with the stew TV, which is very funny because that's, again, very Scream too. because Mickey jumps up at the end and charges at them and they end up all shooting him and all that kind of stuff. So it's funny that that also happens also happens in a theater the ending of scream yes, 2 yes Holy remember shit. yes the whole thing happens in a theater oh my god uh-huh. oh, oh my god, god. The theater. i love this series it was really cool but then yeah danny arrives he brings police officers and then everybody gets medical attention we find out that mindy's alive oh yes and that gail's alive confirmed that they're doing fine mindy somehow makes it back to the scene i'm like you got too many gut wounds to be here but that's yeah. fine chad is also alive chad is fucking alive listen dude. listen a little mad that Chad lived. He got stabbed to shit in Scream 5, and mm-hmm. we thought that he was a goner. And it was like, oh my God, they both lived. How nice. 
But like the way that Chad is stabbed in this movie is not justifiable for him to be alive again. Well, you said that he seems like he's becoming the new Dewey character. Yeah. The new like good presence. And no matter how many times you count him out and he gets knocked out in the beginning of an action sequence, he just ends up coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Wasn't there a point you pointed out Dewey's theme music was playing? Wasn't that in a scene with Chad? It was when they were looking at Dewey's stuff in his glass box, I think. Okay. Or actually, wait, no, I think it was a heart to heart that we didn't talk about. It was between Sam Sam and Gail. And and Mm -hmm. Sam was talking about how afraid she was of losing Tara. She's like, well, what ends up happening to you when you lose your person? And Gail has lost her person. I just feel like we got so much quality time with these characters in this movie. It was really, really nice to see everybody, well, at least the core four and Gail, Mm -hmm. like really, really nicely represented. It was nice getting to spend so much time with them and like seeing their relationship made it just so much more gripping. I just felt so invested with their stories because we got to spend time with them. But this is why I knew that Danny was not the fucking killer. Right. Because in Scream 2, the red herring is Sydney's college boyfriend. The love interest. You never the love interest. the love interest. Yeah. Yes. And we know that the love interest was guilty in the first movie. Then it turns out that it's not the love interest and he dies and it's very sad. But this movie, because there were so many parallels to the second one, I was like, no, it's not the love interest because it wasn't the love interest in the second movie and it just can't be him. And it would have been tired if it was Richie True. and then that. And that's the rule of these sequels up until maybe Scream 5 is legacy characters don't die. And then Dewey died in Scream 5. So I was waiting for a legacy character to die because they like spoke to it. So I'm like, well, at least they're going to kill Kirby off or something like that. They have to kill somebody of significance and they didn't. So I was like, what the hell is going on? Unless you count the last scene of the movie, they are leaving to go to the hospital and Sam is hiding Billy's mask in her bag. Mm -hmm. And you could tell she's enraptured with it. But then she decides to drop it on the ground, leaving the last mask at the crime scene, at the crime scene, continuing the theme. And that's the end of the movie. There's just so much good (laughs) shit here. It's really good. There are so many callbacks. There's a lot of cool new things. It's two hours, but it didn't feel like two hours. It was so fast. It felt like everything was necessary. It did not let up. Okay, let's do like a little quick relations to Scream 2. So college campus. College campus. The phone tapping scene with the van in the park. The theater, final frontier. It being a parent seeking revenge, except it was a daddy this time and not a mommy because it was Billy Loomis's mother in the second movie. And now it's Richie Kirsch's father. Yes. And family. Boyfriend red herring. But there's always going to be boyfriend red herring, but boyfriend being totally innocent and a red herring. Also, beginning of Scream 2, the cold open is a movie theater. I think those are the big ones. Yeah, I think so, because I think in Scream 2, a lot of it is talking about notoriety and fame, like them doing it for notoriety and fame. And that's the only thing that seems absent in this, Mm -hmm. because Mickey wanted to be a notorious serial killer and all that kind of stuff, where Nancy Loomis just wanted revenge, which is why he was just the dumb muscle. I was really nervous about this. I was nervous about it being in New York City and not in Woodsboro. I thought it was going to lose some of its charm. But I think I saw an interview with Jenna Ortega that pretty much said moving it to a new setting or a city as big as New York means nobody is safe. And Mm -hmm. that makes him all the more brutal. Even the fact that they murdered these two wannabe film students in the beginning because they wanted to be able to kill Sam and Tara first. Like, it's just so fucking good. That was so cool. Like, the moment that Jason, the first ghost face, unmasked himself, you and I were both like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it was so Roll crazy. credits, movie's over now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But there's also still that really great humor. Like, there were still some really funny moments. My favorite is when Gail was like, hold please. And Ghostface was just like, oh. Like, it was so good. So it felt like it did still give all of those emotions that I think this franchise usually does really well. They're not stopping. They're not stopping. And I feel like this movie feels like the floodgates are open. Of course, there were always a lot of possibilities for the story, but now it feels like the possibilities really are endless. Like we could go so many places because now we have Sydney in one area. If Nev Campbell ever comes back to the franchise, like that's going to add something. Are we going to see Kirby again? Or is she going to be like pathway of the franchise that maybe we won't see? It's not just like one person. It's like pockets of people. How is this thing going to evolve? I don't know, but it's going to be exciting. 
it makes me want to look at Scream 3 more now because it's like, are you going to replicate any aspect of that? Because a lot of what Scream 3 and some of Scream 4 addresses is the idea of sensationalizing tragedy, turning things into movies. And granted, we already know the Stab movies exist in this, but are we going to see the revival of the Stab franchise in response to what's happening with Sam and Tara? Are we going to see Sam or Tara take the role of what Sydney did in Scream 4, where she writes her own book and like yeah. becomes almost what her agent at one point calls a professional victim. You're a victim for life, like being able to monetize or market themselves off of the fucked up shit that happens to them. And maybe they'll try to redeem themselves for the sins of the third movie. Well, I know some people really like the third movie. The third movie is bad because it's supposed to be bad. Because third yeah. installments are always usually bad, <laughs> with the exception of Nightmare 3 Dream Warrior, which is amazing. <laughs> but I was even saying last night, it's so hard to find a horror franchise, especially. Like, you come to expect when a horror franchise goes above four, five, six installments that things start to get ridiculous. And I think Scream took the break at such amazing times where there is the ability and the intelligence and the super fans that are just a part of it at this point where every installment has gotten better. And I also feel like they're doing the whole like Sam Carpenter as the daughter of Billy Loomis. I feel like they're doing that pretty well. That whole trope, like, am I going to become my parent? Like, that's, you know, something we see across different genres. But I feel like they're doing it pretty well. And especially like this slow burn. This is the second movie now where we're seeing Sam dealing with these inclinations, right? It's interesting to see her dealing with this. Where will this go? I feel like they're really taking their time, which is cool. Long story short, we loved it. I'm going to go see it again. <laughs> I'm so fucking excited. This is the happiest I've been in fucking months. <laughs> absolutely go see it and if you want us to cover more right out of the movie theater movies let us know we have our eyes out for maxine which should be i think next year now i think yeah. there was some delays or something i don't know yeah but other than that we don't have our eyes on anything specifically so let us know of course or if you have any other recommendations please email us at the horrors podcast at gmail.com and or follow us on instagram also at the horrors podcast and until next time we're the horrors bye bye, bye.